Turn, if you would, to the fourth chapter of 1 John. I have this really strange habit of staring at things sometimes, trying to figure out what they really mean. I was outside of a grocery store yesterday. I won't tell you which one. And on the side of the grocery store was this huge sign, free delivery, obviously of groceries. Free delivery, $99 a year. (laughs) What does that mean? I really did just stare at that going, how is it free if it's $99 a year? I don't know. That doesn't have anything to do with the lesson. I just thought it was weird. If you remember the first lesson that we did on 1 John, I read a line out of the ESV study Bible that said, trying to find a coherent pattern in John's writing is difficult at times because John seems to jump from this topic to that topic. Oh, and then let's go back to that topic that we did before. He seems to jump around. Now, I'm not going to say there isn't a pattern to it, okay, because I'm sure there's a purpose behind everything that's done. But sometimes it's difficult. So if you remember about, I don't know, three lessons ago, we started talking about love, mainly loving the brothers, loving the members of the church family. And we spent the first lesson of that going over to 1 Corinthians 13 and talking about what true love is. And then we picked up again and talked about loving the brothers and what that meant. And then it's like John says, but wait a minute, remember the spirit, remember the spirit that's in you. But then he said, but watch it because there are false spirits. And so we had a lesson about what the false spirits would do leading us astray. And then guess what? We came back to love. It's like he got distracted for a few moments And then we get back to love. So we barely started last week on the second half of the discussion about love. And that's where we're going to pick it up today in chapter four. But just to be a little weird, I'm going to give you the conclusion of the lesson first. Now, in my brain... I'm sitting here thinking, I'm going to do this for all the choir members who have to get up and leave in the middle of service. But guess what? The choir's not leaving today. (laughs) I know that some of you are unaware that this group of people get up in the middle of my lesson and leave every week. You may think they're just mad at me every week, and that could be true. But actually, they're going to get ready for a choir during the second service, but not today. But having said that, I'm still going to tell you the conclusion of today's lesson. Go down to the last verse of chapter 4. And this commandment we have from him, from God. This is not a suggestion. This is not a, if you get around to it, this is a commandment from God. Whoever loves God must also love God his brother. I have been rereading Mere Christianity. It's been quite a while since I've read it, but he has a discussion in there about love. And it is covered in a way that we've talked about before. Remember, 
three weeks ago when we talked about love, we as modern 21st century Americans view love as an emotion. I have certain emotional connections with someone, therefore I say, I love them. And C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, that doesn't make any sense if God is going to command us to love. Because I can't command you to feel a certain way. Okay? You say, my stomach hurts, and I command you not to feel that way. That just doesn't make any sense. But God feels, <laughs> God commands us to love one another. In fact, it's stronger than that. It's you love the brother or you're not loving God. If you love God, you love the brother. If you don't love the brother, don't come talking to me about loving God because it isn't there. That is the conclusion. So why have we spent three weeks talking about loving the brothers? Well, we've done it because John has spent a lot of time talking about loving the brothers. Remember, these are the people sitting on the row with you. These are the people sitting on the pew with you. These are the people who have a relationship with Jesus, regardless of their nationality, their race, their particular church they go to. These are those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you and I are commanded, not suggested to, we are commanded to love the brothers. Okay? Let's back up and work our way to that conclusion. Where shall we pick up? Let's pick up in verse 7. We actually got to verse 7 last week, so we'll get a running start into today's lesson. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. That's really where we ended up last week. And remember, we talked about the fact that God is love, but that's not all that God is. God is also righteous. God is also holy. God is a lot of things. But God is the source of all love. And that's what we're going to talk about in today's lesson. We touched on just briefly again last week the fact that when we talk about God is the source of love, we are not necessarily saying that unbelievers can't demonstrate love. Because I believe that love is part of God's common grace that he has given to all of humanity. Now, it has been corrupted by sin. Love that was meant to be holy and righteous has become unholy and unrighteous in a lot of its modern manifestations. We call things love that aren't really love because they do not reflect the righteousness of Christ. But we use that word. 
There was a interesting article to me in a philosophy magazine, and the argument was made that God cannot require us to do something that is impossible to do. This is a philosophy magazine. It is not a religious magazine. And his argument was, is that if you are a homosexual, you need love. Therefore, God could not condemn homosexuality because that would be making it impossible for you. But the problem with the article was that it was confusing love with, well, sex. Yes, we do all need love. We need relationships with people. But we need that within the context of God's righteousness. There isn't a separation of those two. We, as fallen human beings, want to separate those two. And I might add, in the next issue of the Philosophy magazine, they actually had a rebuttal to the article written by a Christian. Go figure. Okay? God is love. But that does not mean that everything that we call love reflects the righteousness of God. So... Picking up from there, we'll begin today's lesson. In this, the love of God has been manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. (sighs) John is going to remind us, as if he hasn't done it enough times already in this short little book, love is not that which we do in order to be made right with God. If you love God enough, God will like you. If you do the right things, if you offer the right sacrifice, if you do then God will like you. The story of the scripture is God worked first. God sent his son. And as I've said repeatedly in this class, there are times when I have not been real pleased with my sons. But you know what? I'm not sacrificing my son for any of you. None of you, okay? God sent his only beloved son to be the sacrifice, the propitiation, the payment to make us right with God. And we sit there and go, God, do you really love me? What have you done for me today? What have you done for me today? How have you demonstrated your love? And if if God measures up, then we'll pay attention to him. Or we believe 
somehow I've got to do it first. You know, it's kind of strange. Free delivery, $99 a year. You know what? A lot of times we sit here thinking salvation is free, but it costs us $99 a year. It doesn't cost you squat. It's been paid for. It's been done. It's been provided for us. Did you have a question? Yeah. It is. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as the propitiation. Propitiation is a big word to make to be made right with. He is the way that we can have a relationship with God the Father through the sacrifice, the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's how we, as fallen human beings, can enter the presence of a holy God. Because if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God loved us, we ought, ought is a moral imperative, we ought to love one another. And here comes the big discussion. What if I don't want to? I know that's a technical question, right? What if I don't want to like you? What if I don't want to love you? What if I want to use you? What if I want to manipulate you? What if I don't want to do that? Three times in the next several verses, we're going to see this relationship. It's God abiding in us and us abiding in God. Three times, it's going to pair those together. God abiding in us and us abiding in God. And we've talked about this because John keeps hopping around, right? When we abide in God, we are taking our life from him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's the question. What is the source of my ability to love anybody else? Being attached to the branch, that branch is Christ. I abide in him. But how can I do that? Because he abides in us. He abides in us because the Holy Spirit resides in us as believers, guiding us, directing us, confronting us, telling us when we're going astray. And here's the question. If I am abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in me, 
on what basis do I look at God and say, no, I don't want to love the brothers. I don't want to do that. I want to do my own thing. Now, it is possible, in fact, it's highly probable, that you and I as believers continue to sin. I ought to demonstrate love to you. And you know what? Sometimes I just let my selfishness get in the way, and I don't do that. And the Holy Spirit comes and kicks me gently and says, don't do that. And I go, oh, shoot, I did it again. Sorry, God. Back to 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But what if the Holy Spirit kicks me and I go, I don't care. I don't care. What is the observation? I am not abiding in God, and God is not abiding in... Maybe there is no relationship. It is not a question, is not a question of, well, we're going to talk in a moment about perfect love. We're going to get there, okay? No show of hands. How many of you have perfect love? Eh, I'm not there yet. It's not a question of God demanding perfection. It is a question of are we abiding in Christ? And is God abiding in us? And if that is the case, we will learn to love each other. And if we have no desire to love each other, that's the red flag. Maybe there's no abiding going on. So, Let's keep going. By this we know. Nope, let's back up a little. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Any of you ever seen God? You can look at the top of the Sistine Chapel and see the painting of God reaching out his hand. Okay? That might be a violation of one of the Ten Commandments. I won't go there, okay? But you do know, right, that you have not seen God, right? You know that, right? Moses said, God, I want to see you. And God says, I'll zap you if I do, if I let you do that. That's a very loose translation. But I'll tell you what, I'll kind of go this direction. I'll let you see a glimpse of my glory, no one has ever seen God. Yes. Uh, graven images. We are making pictures of God. That's called idolatry. Okay. Now, I really like the painting. Okay. <laughs> It's a great painting, and it's illustrating a point. You know, God is reaching out, and man is kind of reaching toward God. Go ahead. Yeah, we won't go there either. <laughs> what about men acting as Jesus? Okay. Um,
The idea of graven images, the Ten Commandment, the commandment that says don't do it, is a rejection of idolatry. We want to make something that looks like God that we can control. I mean, the, the, the prophets talk about, you sit there and you take a chunk of wood, you carve it and you make an idol, and the rest of it you use to burn in the fire to cook dinner. That doesn't make any sense, okay? Augustine, in his book, The City of God, when he talks about the collapse of Rome, he says, here these Romans are trying to protect their idols. If your idol needs protecting, it's not much of a god, okay? God knows that we have a propensity to worship something other than him. And he says... Don't make images of God. Because if you make an image of God, it's first off a false image. Okay? God is not some old guy with a big beard sitting on the top of the Sistine Chapel. It's a false image of God. And secondly, we're going to want to worship it. We're going to begin to think that's God. So you see all these medieval paintings and Jesus is a nice white, European, and guess what? That's a false image. Now, I'm not going to go there, though, right? Because I like the painting, but did I answer your question? <laughs> no one has seen God. Let's just agree on that. No one has seen God. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Easy question. How do we develop perfect love? Let God abide in us. God, who is love comes to live, abide in you. And as you allow, that's a questionable word, as you allow God to work, your love is perfected. That's how we grow in love. So you're a new believer the Holy Spirit has come to reside in you. And you read this and you say, oh, I'm supposed to love that guy over there. But that guy over there is a jerk. And he may be. But he does go to the church. and Okay? And you go, okay. While I, he may be a jerk, and I may... I heard a great quote the other day, right? If you run into jerks every six months or so, they're just jerks. If you're running into a jerk every day, you're probably the jerk. <laughs> so while you can't control him, God can give you the power to demonstrate love to him. And guess what? When you demonstrate love to him, you learn to love. And then you learn to love the next person. 
and you learn to love the next person, and you learn to love, you get the picture right. This is what we refer to as the process of sanctification. As we become more like Christ, we begin to demonstrate love to others, and in doing so, our love, His love in us, is perfected. Now, are you going to get there before you die? Eh, I don't know about that. God is interested in you demonstrating love. But how is that connected to, but nobody has seen God? Nobody has seen God, but the world sees how you demonstrate the love of God to others. In the early church, the world was amazed at how the Christians loved each other. That's what the world saw. They saw the love of God working through the children of God as they demonstrated love one for another. And guess what? They saw God. No, they didn't see God. They saw the work of God, which was love for one another. Now, I won't ask the question because it's a horrible question. So I won't ask it. When the world looks at us today, what do they see? No, we won't answer that question. By this we know that we abide in him and him in us. You see the pattern again? Him in us, us in him. Us in him, him in us. It goes both ways. In John's mind, there is no, well, I've got him, but I'm not going to, or he's got, I'm, it's a, it's a two-way street. We are abiding in God. We are getting our strength from him, and he is abiding in us, and we are allowing his love to work out in our daily life. By this we know no, that's word again. Remember, we had a whole lesson about the word no. Not N-O, K-N-O-W. How do we know things? How do we know that we know things? By this we know that we abide in him and him in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Remember, this was last week's lesson. We talked about love and then he mentions the Spirit and then he mentions the false spirits. And how do we test the spirits? The false spirits will deny that Jesus is from God and came as a human being. They will deny it either with their words or their actions or their life. If we confess 
that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, this demonstrates that we have the Spirit. If we have the Spirit, that demonstrates that He abides in us and we abide in Him. That two-way relationship exists. And how does that manifest itself to the world? By loving one another. In John's mind, all of this is connected. But you and I, you and I want to tear it all apart. I know I do. That's the way I study things. Let's pull this piece. Let's pull that piece. Let's pull this out. Let's talk about theology. What does it mean that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? We talked about that last week. And you know what? Theology is great. You need to study theology. Theology is wonderful. But guess what? If it doesn't end up with love for your brother, John says, eh. The goal is not to master the systematic theology book. But you should master the systematic theology book. The goal is to abide in Christ and have God abide in us. That's the goal. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in us. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Do you think John's getting a little repetitive? You have a question? It is. Yeah. Right. It is the word agape. And throughout the book, I don't think any of the others are used, but in this case it is, yeah. It is a sacrificial love for the good of the beloved. Okay? So this is the love that God demonstrates for us, and we are to demonstrate toward each other. Is that the answer to the question? Okay. So we have come to know, that's the word again, and to believe the love that God has for us. Let's just stop right there. We have come to know, and we have come to believe that God loves us. Now, John's been spending his time, and we've been spending our time, talking about loving each other. Do you really understand? Do you have mental assent? And do you have faith, which is belief, that God loves you? How many of you think on some random Thursday that God hates you? No, no, no. You're never, ever going to admit that, right? Ever going to admit that. But sometimes you get really down. Sometimes you really are in a tough situation. Sometimes something bad has happened and... Sometimes it doesn't have to be that bad. Somebody, and you begin to think, God hates me. Well, maybe he doesn't hate me. He just doesn't care about me. How many of you ever thought, God doesn't care? 
when C.S. Lewis's wife died, the minister was trying to, you know, say something that ministers do, and he made some comment about doubting the existence of God. And Lewis said, I don't doubt the existence of God. I doubt the love of God. John is writing this to us so that we can know mental assent, we can believe, have faith that God loves us. And you know what? Loving the person on the pew with you, loving the person on at that church down the street is pretty much impossible if you don't first understand the magnitude and the intensity of God's love for you. God is love, and whoever abides in him abides in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us that we have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in the world. That's a strange sentence. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For love has to, for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There is no fear in love. Now, there's been a lot written about this passage. I'm going to use the easy answer. Sometimes I don't do that, but I'm going to do it in this case. The context that he's writing this in is in the context of judgment. That we will have confidence. And if you remember, earlier in the book, he has made this same comment. There is judgment coming. How do we have assurance, peace, confidence that when judgment comes, we're not going to get zapped? You get on the highway today and you're going somewhere and the speed limit is 70, but you're in a hurry, so you go 85. I mean, that's what people do, right? There's lots of people going that fast on the highway. And you happen to drive by a police car. And you go, oh no, what do I do? And you quickly put on the brake, which actually makes no sense at all because you're already past them. And if they're going to get you, they're going to get you. But your conscience comes in and says, you're going to get caught. And the weird thing is, The speed limit is 70 and there's people going 69 and they see a police officer and they slam on their brakes. Why? Because our guilty feelings grab a hold of us and we have to respond to them. We have no confidence that that police officer is not going to zap us. And guess what? That's how we feel about God. I'm going to show up to judgment and there's going to be this book, this list. 
you know, forget Santa's naughty and nice. This is my naughty list. And it's huge. And God is going to start at the top. And by the time he gets to page 46, I'm going to be a puddle in front of him. That's how we feel about upcoming judgment. And once again, how can I show love to you if I'm scared to death that God is going to zap me at any moment? Do I really believe that God loves me or that God is just kind of toying with me and at judgment he's going to zap me? Because we don't really understand that God did it all. There's no free delivery for $99. God gave it to us. Why? Because God loves us. Why? I don't have a clue. For God so loved that he gave. And when we believe that God loves us, that fear goes away. The love is perfected when I understand his love is perfect. And all of a sudden, I do not have to fear meeting God. You do know the most beautiful words in the Bible and the most horrifying words in the Bible are the same words. Prepare to meet your maker. In Christian theological, mystical terms, that is known as the beatific vision. The vision of God. And guess what? That's great. Unless you're still thinking that God's going to zap you. And then that's terrifying. Perfect love. God's love toward us, our love that comes from abiding in him and him abiding in us, that drives that fear away. And we have confidence on the day of judgment. This is not a confidence that makes us haughty or arrogant. Nobody's going to walk up to the throne of judgment and say, ha ha, aren't I great things? No, if you try that, God's going to zap you. We approach the throne in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's it. But let's look at the good list. No, there is no good list. There's either the finished work of Jesus Christ or there's nothing. That's it. How can we enter the presence of a holy God? through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We love because he first loved us. Memorize that sentence. It is not he loves us because we loved him. It isn't he loves us because we offered the right sacrifices. It isn't he loved us because we completed the correct list of do's and don'ts. He loved us first. 
we love because He loved. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has, who he has, he has seen, cannot lo- his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. He doesn't say it's hard. He doesn't say it's difficult. He says it's impossible. Which brings us to, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It isn't a suggestion. And I might add, it's, not also, it's also not a work that we do in our own strength. It is the evidence of us being connected to the branch which is Jesus. Remember, we talked about this in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit is the product of being connected to the branch. Love, joy, peace, patience, kind of, you got the list. But the first one is love. So, what does that mean on a daily basis? What does it mean for you to love each other? Well, you know what? We're out of time. (laughs) But beside that, I don't want to give you a list of do's and don'ts about love. I want you tomorrow, when you see somebody that needs love, to give them love. And once again, we talked about this twice. You know, we can talk about loving your spouse. That's a good thing. The scripture even talks about loving your enemy. That's a hard thing. Let's just start in the middle. John is talking about us loving each other. If you see somebody that has a need, you meet that need. That need can be physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever it is. Okay? What keeps us from doing that? Selfishness, sin, we want to be in control, we want to do things our way, we want, we want, we, we want. You get the pattern, right? And by the way, we also have fear. What if I demonstrate love for a believer and they're not nice to me? What if I demonstrate love for a brother or sister, and they respond in a negative way. And we're scared. We're worried. We are... Perfect love drives out fear. Why do we demonstrate love for each other? Well, I demonstrate love for you, so you'll think kindly of me. So you'll give me a pat on the back. So you'll give me a gold star because I did something good. And you will, no. We love because God loves us. That's it. That's it. Are we there? No. Are we moving in that direction? That's what God wants us to do. 
We love because he loved first. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the love that you demonstrated toward us. I pray, Lord, that we would experience your abiding in us and us abiding in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.